The year is 1970. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. My Marvelous Year, the only comic book podcast that is going to take you from the origins of Marvel history through to today. We are a comic book reading club podcast where myself, Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com, and the comic book Roy Thomas, aka Zach Dean, will be taking you through the history of Marvel. Today we're going to be talking about comics from 1970. We're talking about the second half of the reading list that we and the club have been going through. Of course, you can always go back to 1970 part one to read the first half and to hear our thoughts and assessments of those comics. But today we've got some really, really important comics in Marvel history uh, because there's a lot of endings, uh, both some literal oh, I was gonna say, series I ending. Why are these important? I didn't know that. <laughs> well, you're going you're gonna <laughs> to yeah. find out today. We'll all find out together they're endings of of an era in in many ways um and particularly of creators we're gonna see we're gonna read the last jack kirby comics i didn't even know the first go round yeah of the of the silver age um he will come back spoiler alert but uh it's gonna you know it's gonna be a different a different beast by the time he does Hmm. um and then we're also gonna have the silver surfer as a series ends we're gonna wish um that that some comics would end sooner uh and there's gonna be you know plenty (laughs) of endings Uh, i don't know i don't think i dislike any of these i'm looking through the list i think i i kind of liked most of these these issues um, i think it's a pretty good haul um it's yeah. pretty concise I, there are some there's there's more like interesting comics that i'm like man i don't i feel like there's actually a lot of material that people could write think pieces and hot takes on <laughs> yeah there's one like, there's avengers one, number yeah. 83 <laughs> yeah yeah it's, <laughs> it's very pretty. that one's pretty funny yeah uh, yeah 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 yeah, I, so, I don't think at worst I thought these were lukewarm, but uh, nothing nothing here drove me nuts. Yeah, no, no, none of the none of the real bad stuff. But um, what are we starting with here? Hulk, uh, Hulk, and is that oh, wait, you or me? Well, before we start that, uh, just want to thank our Patreons over at Patreon.com/slash My Marvelous Year. Uh, you really are what helps the show keep going, and uh, just your support's really really appreciated. Um, and uh, of course, shout out to the Slack. Just a lot of uh, I don't know if you've been in there, Dave, but. Yesterday was like pages and pages and hours and hours of juggalo talk. Have you been hearing about this? You just made the Slack sound the least appealing. <laughs> I think it's ever sounded since no, we started the show. Uh, mo- mostly because one of our members is like, we started writing it and uh, I, I made a joke about jugglos and she's like, oh, I think you spelled juggler wrong. Isn't it spelled juggler? <laughs> And uh, come to realize she's never heard of Insane Clown Posse or Juggalos, which was just like four people now yelling at her, like <laughs> everything there is to four know Four Juggalos about. now yelling at her? Great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, come join the Slack. It's a bunch of Juggalos yelling at you. Uh, yeah, come join the Slack. <laughs> Sounds fun. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you to all our patrons. Uh, and if you want to support the show, a review and rating on iTunes and uh, back us on Patreon. Thanks a lot. Yes. All right. That would be awesome. All right. Am I, I'm going to jump into the first comic we did then. Yes, please. This is Incredible Hulk number 128. It's by Roy Thomas, Herb Trimp, and Sam Rosen. And uh, this is a big old Hulk smash him up where he ultimately takes on the Avengers. Uh, it begins with the Hulk bashing his way under the earth. He has been <clears> left under the earth and rather than <laughs> dig up he smashes uh, like in a in a parallel line across the country underground and he's heading for general ross realizes the san andreas fault i think my key takeaway from this issue zach hmm. the hulk is really bad at going up yeah <laughs> it is very funny they show like out. a map of him crossing america and it's like he's halfway across america underground and he's just digging <laughs> digging a tunnel all the way through because he doesn't want to bump into anybody which actually I think I keep making a lot of comparisons to Full Metal Alchemist, but that happens in that. There's a, an enormous character who just spends his entire time digging tunnels underground. And that Very Hulkish. Well. Yeah. I, there's something about the way that Hulk, Hulk is digging underground and talking to himself, as he often does, just kind of monologuing. And it made me realize that the Hulk's inner monologue sounds like a uh, sounds like a wrestler when he's in the ring by himself. So you've got, Mole Man won't follow Hulk. 
Tyrannus won't follow Hulk. But if they do, Hulk will smash them just like he did their armies. Hulk is the strongest there is. <laughs> like everything he says, if you just uh if you just had The Rock or Hulk Hogan say it, it would make perfect sense. Like his intonation all sounds like call-outs. And with the flax in the crowd either cheering or booing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would work pretty well. Um yeah, so General Thunderbolt Ross, when they get wind of what the Hulk's doing, he calls in the Avengers. Let's hear it one more time for Clint's nipple armor. Um Clint Barton at this point. <laughs> God, in time, I'm so ready for this to go away <laughs> he he has uh given up his hawkeye persona and he yeah, is running too. around town as goliath uh he's he's pretty much like uh he's kind of like a half giant man all the time you know yeah like a 10 foot tall yeah, yeah. Used to the giant man powers. He's all bulked up, and uh, he's got some really nice metal arm that kind of a, kind of like an H, kind of like a mm. triple H. Yeah, over his nipples, <laughs> and uh, to keep those nice and safe. Uh, the rest of the lineup is the Vision, Wanda Maximoff, Pietro Maximoff, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver, mm-hmm. and Black Panther. So uh, we talked about the Hulk being bad at going up. Because he is so bad at this, the Avengers send Vision down. Of course, Vision turns Oriel and sink to exactly where the Hulk is. It's a pretty cool shot of that happening. That's a that's a really fun use of his powers in the way that they show that, like in cross section of him just sinking down through the ground. It's yeah, really good. I, like, I like that panel. Yes, I I had kind of forgotten how much they lean into Vision, Kitty priding his way all over the um all over the, like these battles. Yeah, but yeah, he sinks down to where the Hulk is, and then he basically battles the Hulk by just turning, you know, untouchable. And mm-hmm. uh, eventually he gets the Hulk to leap at him and to leap upwards. And Hulk smashes his way to the surface where he can then fight Avengers. So there's a big old fight. Um, the Avengers lure Hulk into this trap. Ross, what is it? The Gamma? Gamma yeah, Eater? Yeah, the, the anti-Hulk beam, whatever. Yeah, they use it on the Hulk. It seems to not work. He seems to still be Hulk. They're like, oh man, he jumps away, and uh, and then basically, as he's jumping away, they all in give midair. up. <laughs> they in all midair, give up, he and he turns back. Yeah. Time. So it did actually work. It was like, it's a perfectly middle of the road yeah. Hulk comic. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's some fun moments. Uh, it's not the best. It's not the worst. But again, you get him against the you know kind of new look Avengers lineup. Well, the the thing is, they don't they they spend so much time as with him as the Hulk and not as Bruce Banner, and it's not nearly as interesting hearing him as the Hulk just being mad at everyone as it would be hearing from Bruce Banner being, I don't know, like grappling with the fact that he loses control. Like that, that is much more interesting and human, right? It's grounded in like an actual human who this horrible thing is happening to, but they want the superhero big punch fights. So he has to stay as the Hulk for these. And yeah, I think it's something, I mean, that's the big difference between this and I think later better Hulk comics is they, you know, find that balance between the Hulk and Bruce Banner better and the, uh, the, like struggle between them also the hulk they start drawing his face a little weird here and he kind of looks like the dad from christmas story did you notice that <laughs> <laughs> no he's got he's got a weird face okay um, yeah yeah i didn't think it was bad i just eh, there's not much to his character right now except i want to be left alone and that's yep. all that's been his character for a decade now yeah i did think one thing that was interesting was the avengers you know they're all new look avengers right none of these are part of the original crew mm-hmm. and when they're talking about the hulk they they also reference back to like well he was a founder Avenger and it sort of gave this and I think we've joked about that being like kind of an absurd title for people to to throw on the Hulk him yeah. as this founding Avenger because like it was technically he helped them against <laughs> Loki and yeah it lasted for a minute I this was the first instance of actual comic book lore where I thought like it kind of sounds like they're talking about it like there's a world of of adventures in between that first issue of Avengers and what follows where Hulk turns into a villain they're fighting by Avengers number three, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, it actually sounds like, oh, there's like untold stories that they know about who was a founding Avenger and did more, which I think is something that um, as people go back and do and revisionist history becomes a big at Marvel, it sounded to me like, oh, there's actually an opening here where that might make more sense. Yeah, that would be interesting. I mean, I think at some point he's going to join up again if he chills out. Um, I, I don't know that, but I just kind of assume at some point he's going to <laughs> get some control and be part of the Avengers again, because it would be weird if like, I don't know, we view him as an Avenger through the movies and everything, and it was just based off those two issues. So yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see that. But yeah, that, that's a good point. People playing in that space of maybe it was much longer than we realize, and he, you know, there was more interaction in that. <laughs> between issue one and two of the Avengers. Right, right, totally. All right, so uh, that leads us into Fantastic Four. We read 102 through 104. Which Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, their last, you said? This is the last Kirby issue of Fantastic wow. Four. 
Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, though, I guess I feel like maybe it is time because I, I wrote here at like to sum up these issues. I, I don't have any problem with these issues. I thought they were perfectly fine. They just seem a little like a little lukewarm compared to some other stuff that's happening. They feel like there's, they're feeling more and more dated. Um, and, and it's nothing like it's only in comparison to where the rest of Marvel is moving. Uh, not necessarily anything wrong with his art or even with the writing. Like this would have been a very good 1965 issue, but in I 1970, think... it's starting to feel a little behind the time. Yes. It feels it's plotting. It takes three issues to mm-hmm. resolve what doesn't seem to be. If you told just like the, the bare bones and you said yeah it's um magneto namor rescues magneto from dinosaurs and then magneto (laughs) what what is that about why is is magneto in the middle of it's from the remember the savage land oh right yeah yeah okay he's still out there in his weird armor i even does that yeah yeah he doesn't have that nose guard on his helmet that and he he lost the cape. He's wearing some weird, like, electro armor. Yeah, I was more focused on the, yeah, like, like Tony Stark designed his costume all of a sudden. Yeah. And he's got, like, blue circles and lines on his chest. It doesn't look good. Circuitry and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you said that, and then you said, and then Magneto makes a power play to manipulate the forces of Atlantis uh, into war on Earth so that he can use their armies for his own nefarious ends and is manipulating Namor this whole time. Uh, I feel like I'd be more into that idea. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. this, sounds, this sounds interesting. The Fantastic Four stop course. Uh, but it honestly, it becomes, it's kind of slow. And I honestly, I don't blame. So I have two thoughts on, on Kirby's last issue. One, I don't blame mm-hmm. him at all because he had a foot out, I think. I, I, I fully am willing to believe that he was like, this is my last one, doing yeah. this, and then I'm done. I'm going to DC. Um, I don't think he's in any way interested in giving his best and brightest idea at this point in time, uh, which puts the onus on Stan to craft a more compelling story. And this one, I don't think really delivers. Um, and then it's Fantastic Four number 103 and 104 continue the story. Uh, but it's uh, John Romita. And whereas he stepped in on Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and honestly, well, he... Kind of, he kind of was the beneficiary of one. I really like his art on Spidey. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then two, the story he jumped in on is one of the best Spideys like of that era. Yeah, he jumps in on the story of who is the Green Goblin, right? And that big climatic conic battle between Goblin and Spider-Man. Whereas here, he jumps in on a very forgettable (laughs) Magneto and Namor fighting versus the Fantastic Four, like kind of three-way battle. Yeah. Um, So I, I don't, I don't know that Romita doesn't fit Fantastic Four, but certainly in reading these issues, I just kept thinking they really miss Kirby. This comic is, it's so much tied to his style and his ideas Mm -hmm. that it just, it's an immediate drop off a cliff. um, I thought. Between 102 and 103, it switched from Kirby to Romita. Yeah. I didn't even notice. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't notice. I thought this was, I thought the whole, all three were Kirby. Uh, if you had asked me, I didn't write it down. So yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even notice the, the shift in, in artists. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of carried on for me this, but it didn't bring anything new. It didn't feel that interesting. Well, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a bummer too, that like Kirby's last issue isn't a send off. Yeah. You know? sure. It isn't really a moment. It's well, just I mean, who, who knows how, one of a story. Who knows the circumstances, right? He might've, it might've literally been like a two week notice. He just dropped off instead of them planning it out and him trying to do something special or something. Oh, it sure. seemed, seemed like they weren't on the best terms and he was pretty mad at Marvel for not giving him the credit he thought he deserved. And no, logistically, I can see it. I'm just, it'd be, it would have been so nice if you're like, yeah, Fantastic Four number 100, Kirby's last issue. And mm-hmm. if, you know, like you're so close yeah. to the milestone yeah. and to the moment. Um, But obviously it just doesn't play out. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like Dave said, Namor rescues Magneto from Dino Island. Magneto finds some equipment in Namor's... Dino Island's a DC thing. Oh, sorry. sorry, sorry. I feel like we're going to get no prize letters. (laughs) (laughs) Savage lands. Uh, Magneto, in, in Atlantis, Magneto finds some equipment that just amplifies his power so he can uses magnets all over the world he starts like i don't know throwing around buildings in new york city and attacking the fantastic four from a distance the fantastic four pinpoint this to atlantis and reed richards is like <laughs> i'm gonna send a sonar probe and if they don't stop i'll send a concussion bomb this was one of the weirdest like, now it shouldn't be weird because we've we've talked about this over the course of my marvelous year how quick reed is to turn to weapons development <laughs> and why, usage why does reed richards just have concussion missiles concussion missiles ready at a at a fingertip he's unilaterally starting a a war war. yeah who who made you the army like yeah it's wild and he's just like well if they don't we'll reach out but if not we'll send them a concussion missile as a warning now they did 
they did it, backtrack it a little as the issue progresses. Did you notice yeah. that? Yeah, but clearly, like this was still a weapon of war. Like when it when it actually uh, Ben Grimm presses the button, kind of on impulse, and Atlantis just starts crumbling, and Namor has to save his citizens from all being crushed to death. Like Reed Richards was just ready to start. Uh, I don't know, blowing up the city. Yeah. It's well, that's wild. I think the way they backtrack it though is that Mito was the one who's actually like destroying the city and the citizens. Like so, Reed sends. Oh, the missile, oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, Magneto makes it it's not actually going to destroy it that's right yes magneto makes it appear that that was the missile's intent because he's Mm -hmm. doing the damage because i read it the same way at first too i'm like reed reed's just destroying a civilization what like it was (laughs) so crazy i think they actually they actually credit it to magneto as manipulating all this which is actually very machiavellian and you know we talk a lot about man full like non-nuanced supervillain here oh he's Um, he's crazy like way way more evil and conniving than like dr doom here like the the part where he's sitting on a throne with his captives in tubes next to him yeah yeah so anyway uh the the what else so the fantastic four are in touch with the president of the united states old tricky dick himself the uh, real, is, is the real the, tricky dick yeah. on screen. Yeah, which is kind of strange. This made me wonder, oh, how much do they bring in real-life presidents? Like, do they always do this? Stick with the president of the day? We definitely saw JFK at point. I mean, I yes, I would say they stick with the president of the day until very recently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for reasons. Uh, but yeah, I think a lot of times they do. Like, I can think of very memorable moments that include Ronald Reagan. Like, very memorable hmm. moments that include uh, Barack Obama. Oh, yeah, there was that one Um, Spider-Man issue cover that was very famous with Obama's face on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 no, they... they tend to all have a moment. Now, I will say, I can't picture any Jimmy Carters. We'll have to pay attention. <laughs> I mean, I do remember from uh, the Ultimate Universe, doesn't Magneto, like, tie up a naked George W. Bush on the front lawn of the White House? Like, I, I feel like I remember seeing, like, a nude George W. Bush on the... Oh no, that was that was just a dream last that night. That was your private yeah. collection. Oh, that was a dream. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry, um, sorry, everyone. No, that that sounds extremely likely. And yes, George W. definitely makes appearances uh, throughout the Ultimate Universe. Yeah. Okay. Does DC do that with their presence? I mean, they also mess with presidents. DC, because uh, DC is a little bit I don't less know the like grounded well to in, say, yeah. but they definitely because like for example, Lex Luthor's been president. Right. They yeah. have. They clearly have a different government. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they're also not based on all the same cities. Like it's America, but it's kind of a different mirror version. So they kind of play with that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And I just yeah. read something. Might have been in the pages of Action Comics or Superman. I just read something where it was clearly like they have a president. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or at okay. least that's the way they're portraying thing comic. But yeah. Anyway, uh, we so, do get, but I, the thing here too that is like Fantastic Four just have like they just get calls from world leaders. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is where they are. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're like the biggest superhero team. The, them and the Avengers are like seem on pretty equal footing here. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Sue Storm's job here is to just hide with the baby. Reed Richards commands her to go drop off the baby with Miss Harkness. Which That's right. I don't know what that is. I don't know what <laughs> like it's their babysitter who lives in the creepy mansion out in the boonies and. uh and like Sue, Sue Storm doesn't like it. Like she brings the baby there, and she's like, "Man, this place always gives me the willies." Anyway, here's my baby. Gotta go. <laughs> so if like, you to, one who's thing clearly you learn, a witch, this woman. Yeah, one thing you learn when you have kids is you want to be away from them for as much as possible, <laughs> and you also want to drop them off in the creepiest, most she's probably a witch like house that you find. That is just like when you become a parent, you'll understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. The Miss Harkness is very funny. Oh, anyway, Frank Franklin Richards. I don't know if we mentioned his name yet, but he is now That's named right. Franklin Richards, little baby yeah. boy. Um, also, kind of interesting. I I don't know if Miss Harkness actually becomes a witch, but uh, there's a famous series of books, Discovery of Witches, written by Deborah Harkness. A little is think, it? What do you know? What era that's from? Like now? Like she just wrote these books? More recent. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so not, not so her parents definitely born. named her after this character, knowing that she would grow up to write witch novels that sounds very witchcraftian to me yeah Yeah. um so uh, it's so frustrating because sue storm is just like running around trying to get the baby safe that's her only job she drops off the baby and within a page she gets kidnapped she's out in the middle of like the middle of the wilderness drops off the baby and on the middle of the next page She's over the Atlantic Ocean, captured by Namor. Like you know they- who gets captured in this story? All the lady friends. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Also, also <laughs> Dorma. The lady yeah. friend. They're getting captured by Meg. It's like, it feels, 
it feels antiquated as oh, yes. it's happening I even in the context yeah. of i know we're reading 70 comics like it feels antiquated for 1970s comics you know yeah yeah well there's a weird pushback against like <laughs> women's lib this year that we'll we'll get into so sure. yeah i i don't mind these they were okay like i i don't know but the 104 wraps up namor and fantastic four team up to fight magneto to rescue their their wives and girlfriends. Um, so yeah, right. No, it, I mean, yeah. The ending is it ends everything. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> the most exciting part of the ending is the tease for uh, Fantastic Four one hundred and five, which the uh, the title is "Monster in the Streets," which I just I want to know what he is in the sheets if he's a monster in the streets. <laughs> Fair uh, point. The, I have uh, two more callouts. Uh, one is when Namor's talking to Magneto in Fantastic Four number one hundred and two. Mm-hmm. He. Uh, Magneto's kind of like subtly, quote unquote, like, hey, maybe we should start a war. <laughs> and Namor's like, you hint at war while I have ever striven for peace. <laughs> who, who does Namor think he is? <laughs> like, that is such a lie. Namor, yeah. you literally <clears throat> attacked Earth with Atlantis's forces. And also, like, watch, watch how it's going to be 15 minutes. Magneto's going to work on you until you're like, all right, fine, war. Great. I love I, it. Just the most absurd lie that I think anyone's ever told in these pages. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, um, it even comes up like Richard Nixon is ready to start, you know, deploying the army. Specifically because I think he mentions that Atlantis has uh, invaded New York before. Unless he's talking about this time, but... Uh, no, no, they yeah. have a history of doing yeah, this. Yeah, like, exactly. That goes back to the Golden Age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Namor, I don't know where you're getting off on that one. Uh, the other thing is just kind of brushed over it, but we do actually get the debut of Agatha Harkness here. Um, and obviously we're joking about her, but she will be a character that plays a role in Fantastic Four comics and oh, Marvel Universe. I had no forward, idea. And I kind of figured the... she'd be a one-off. No, no, she is the ongoing caretaker. Oh, weird. I don't know why that would be. Why did they find an old lady in the woods? You know... It's the rationale for that as a choice for a babysitter will get some explanation much later that I can think of. I'm not sure about at this particular point in time. Hmm. Okay. All right. So, uh, yeah, Fantastic Four. That moves us into, we read three Silver Surfers, 16, 17, and 18, the end of this series. So I, I wonder what was up with this, if this was just, uh, it wasn't selling, it was underperforming, or, um, yeah, they just weren't getting the response they wanted. Yeah, I actually tried to look this up a little, because 18 ends, so 18's a Kirby-drawn issue. It's the last mm-hmm. Kirby-drawn issue we're going to yeah. read here on the Marvel side, and um, it ends, and it's, like, totally not an end. I mean, no, it ends on, not, like, a cliffhanger. Yeah, it's not clear that, like, the series, and I was trying to look up to, like, is there a Silver surfer number 19 and something just happened and i couldn't i couldn't really figure it out in a short period of time so no, my marvelous here at gmail.com if you got some silver surfers because yeah i think i mean the series, series reappears we get, we get another silver surfer series i think either the late 70s or the 80s at some point oh yeah he'll this be around back, but i mean he'll be on I mean, the, in the characters in around but he gets his own series again in like a decade um so uh yeah chick stone is inking these and i really like his inking his inking really makes these distinct big thick lines that i, I it like. works well with buscema's art artwork yep. um i really like that pairing together 1617 are we return to a battle with Mephisto, the uh, you know Satan figure of Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. First issue is called In the Hands of Mephisto. Um, basically, if you didn't like this much the first time in Silver Surfer number three, there's not a lot here that I think is going to weigh you otherwise. I tend to enjoy the Silver Surfer Mephisto battles. Mephisto is dead set on corrupting a good soul and you know making the Silver Surfer do horrible things in order to um, you know save Shalabal is his love uh, <laughs> back from Zenla. There, and, uh, there was like this really dumb moment where Mephisto uh, Mephisto goes to the Silver Surfer and tells him that like his power can undo Galactus's imprisonment or undo the Silver Surfer's imprisonment by Galactus on Earth. So the Silver Surfer flies off Flies all the way back to Zen Law and is like, where's Shalabal? And somebody's just like, oh, she just got kidnapped by Mephisto. So he just turns around and goes back to Earth. And Mephisto is just there with Shalabal being like, ha ha. Yeah. And I don't know why that happened. I don't know why he unleashed him to go to Zen Law, except so that we could see the moment of like, get to see Silver Surfer flying back there. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. He's just messing with yeah, I, He's yeah. giving him hope, and then he's tearing it away. That's a total Mephisto. Okay, F- fair enough. I kind of just was thinking, why didn't Mephisto just say, ha ha, I have Shalabal? No, it's not logical. It's end. just cruel. That's that's a good point. Yeah, that, that's fair. Maybe I, I'm not reading that correctly. Um, so the the twist at the end of the comic. No, wait, wait, wait. Before before you get to the end, I, I need okay. to I need to get to Mephisto. Is it Mephisto's trench coat? Yes, exactly. So <laughs> Mephisto decides to blend in on Earth, and uh, he comes to Earth. I don't know why he decides to blend in, but he puts on a trench coat and a hat, and like on the next page, he starts walking down the street, and he's like, oh, human, their stench overwhelms me, and he just starts blasting them. <laughs> like, he can- 
<laughs> he tries to put on this disguise and it lasts about 30 seconds before he just starts unleashing hell on earth not sure why he needed the hat other than it looks fun <laughs> uh, the twist at the end of the issue is mephisto tells silver surfer if he wants to save shala ball he must destroy shield which we've yeah. talked about sort of um the the value of maybe shoehorning in marvel universe properties or mm-hmm. characters you know obviously we talked about this a lot on the last variant cover we did or excuse me on the 1968 variant cover but um this one felt it felt both fun and egregious in the way that <laughs> I think we were like, what like, is the balance? I don't why, know what the balance is. Why it, does Mephisto like hate Shield? Like he's right. just a yeah. I, I don't. If you I, try I, to find logic in it, it's like why? Why Shield? Why not the Avengers? Why not the Fantastic Four? It could be any Marvel institution or organization or team. Um, this is just the one they picked. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a, I don't know, I kind of, it's kind of fun. You get Nick Fury and Dum Dum Dugan out of it. It doesn't make sense that Mephisto, Mephisto it, just like, kind of fun. So Mephisto freezes time to show that the Silver Surfer like has no power, and he shows him that Shalabal is just wandering on Earth somewhere, like lonely and cold and lost, <laughs> and then tells him, "If you want Shalabal back, you must destroy the USDA." And and then <laughs> 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 like j- just a random government agency that yeah, it's been irking me lately. Uh, yeah, it, that's weird. But I, also, Shalabal is not actually in danger. She's just wandering around a city by herself. Like, she'll, she'll probably be okay. Just the Silver Surfer can't see her. Um, the Silver Surfer goes to a shield base and he just starts blasting apart the building, but doesn't hurt anybody intentionally. He says, Oh, destroy shield. That could just mean infrastructure. I don't need to actually kill anybody. Right. So he like kind of plays along, kind of tries to trick him. Mephisto tries to trick the Surfer by actually hiding Shalabal on the shield helicarrier. Destroying. Um, so that he will, you know, again, in cruelty, he's trying to get the surfer to destroy this thing to win Shalabal while simultaneously destroying her. Um, the surfer finds out his trickery. He's mad at Mephisto. He thinks he cheated. Mephisto's like, no, you cheated. <laughs> I mean, that would actually have been a pretty good plot line, right? That like Mephisto unleashes the Silver Surfer on Shield and then disguises Shalabal as a Shield member, and then the Silver Surfer actually ends up being the one who kills Shalabal as he like he uh you know, he gives into this darkness. To be able to rescue Shalabal, and because he does that, he like that. That seems very. Uh, I don't know. That would have been more interesting. And also, I would. I could stop saying the word Shalabal because she wouldn't be around anymore. It'd be cool if she came back, but she was inverted, and now she was Balashal. <laughs> she was a dark version of herself. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I. The twist you're describing sound modern. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, that that's a very Shakespearean thing, right? Like you lose the thing that you are struggling the most not to lose something, and in the struggle, you are the one that leads to its end that's like a very greek story yeah i don't greek tragedy I, i'm kind of glad they didn't do that here honestly i don't well, i mean think it would it be pretty dark well but... <laughs> and yeah it's definitely darker than they've gone um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah i think i also i do like the silver surfer's optimism um or or attempt to cling to optimism and that would that would kind of destroy the yeah, yeah. Of the character yeah um so this kind of just ends with mephisto leaves with shalabal and it's like to be continued i think he still has her he didn't release her unless i'm mistaken yeah no it's, they don't yeah, it doesn't I'm, end happily i mean but it ends and i kind of thought 18 would gets lead out of it right into this like 18 would be the continuing story of him searching for shalabal but no he he just, he just moves on <clears throat> so do we uh we this is a uh, number 18 it's like kind of a classic no one understands the silver surfer because no one stops to actually have a conversation and he fights the inhumans because they're they just bump into each other and we want them to fight. Um, yeah. Yeah. There were basically the only things that I thought were particularly interesting in this issue um, was one, you do get, you know, I talked about Kirby not really sharing new ideas. You do get the start of the issue kind of opens with like in humans, we don't know. And it's like this world of characters and powers that really is never going to get explored. And it kind of called into attention fact that, you know, it kind of seemed like Kirby kind of always wanted a, an inhumans ongoing mm-hmm. and never got it, yeah. you know? And it's like, this feels like that little tease of what that might have been, which yeah. I think would have been very New Godsian, which is yeah. what he brought over to DC. Um, so you get I, that little tease. It doesn't I really like develop the, uh, into much. <clears throat> there were some Inhumans that maybe we've seen before, but the evil Inhumans working under Maximus. It's like, mm-hmm. one's just a lion, one's a tree. And I think they're yeah. named like Lioness and Timberus or whatever. Timberius. Timberius, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like them though. I liked all the evil and humans. I thought they were pretty fun. And then, yeah, Silver Surfer is kind of manipulated into going to the Inhumans and he bumps into Black Bolt and him and Medusa start fighting and then eventually they realize they're on the same side and Silver Surfer flies off. The most interesting thing about this is once the dust is settled, Silver Surfer is furious about how he's being treated by humanity and he kind of just goes um, goes, over, goes over the deep end and starts ranting and yelling 
telling about how humanity's pushed him too far and he'll show them his dark side, you know, he'll give them back what they're, they've are they been pouring out on him. And uh, we get that one big splash page of him looking furious and angry and that he's going to, like, unleash his fury on humanity. And that's where the series ends. <laughs> that last page it's pretty is good. easily one of the best pages of the Silver Surfer yeah. saga. Yeah, yeah. And it's very interesting, fascinating. <clears throat> and I gotta say, we're gonna read it in a year or two so i need to uh, i need to pay attention this time because i don't really know if that is picked up on the Mm. next time we see Mm. um but it really ends with like oh surfers he's gone dark actually kind of in the way you're describing that lafista was kind of trying to get him to yeah you know to snap his mind at the end of 17 um he kind of gets there just by virtue of just being like just so flustered with everything (laughs) you know what pushed him over the edge is when he uh Uh, he yeah, he tried, to, dog. God, he tried to summon his surfboard. It wouldn't come. So he walks into the next room and Lockjaw is just chewing on it like a chew toy. <laughs> it was one of my favorite Lockjaw moments ever. And then he ends up just like grappling with Lockjaw for a few minutes to get it away from him. Oh, it was so good. He blasts the heck out of Lockjaw and he does make a point to say he's fine. God, Don't worry, just, dog lovers. That just made me want like a montage of uh, every time Lockjaw is in one of these big stories, just show him chewing on the most powerful, important item. Like they should have had him in the, in the latest Avengers movies, just chewing on the Infinity Gauntlet. Oh my like, gosh. Drooling all over. Good. <laughs> like where's, where's Mjolnir? It's Lockjaw just slobbering all over it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Thor summons Mjolnir and just Lockjaw comes flying towards him because it's in his mouth. <laughs> oh, it's so worth it. God, I really hope they just kind of scrub that ABC, like, disaster of a series from the record and try to bring them in a movie form because they're so good. They're so interesting. And I don't think I, they're going to, but it would be. It's going to be a while before yeah, it might we see be a them while, again after hopefully, that, hopefully after that train wreck. Um, all right. So moving on to <laughs> Avengers 83 titled Come On In, The Revolution's Fine. <laughs> This might be the <laughs> the best the title. most. I, this might be the most complicated issue, right? It's a in kind the of Marvel Cheer Club. It's kind of weird because I feel one way about it, but it's kind of the opposite of how the comic maybe wants me to feel about it, right? Like it's doing one thing, and I am siding with who they want you to think is the villain. <laughs> and I'm like, no, she's right. All right, let, let, let's get into it. So let's talk about it. Yeah, um, Janet. Janet Van Dyne shows back up to the Avengers Mansion, and she's surprised to see all the female Avengers. We got Scarlet Witch, um, Black Widow, and wait, is that it? Well, Medusa. Oh yeah, Medusa. Not Avenger, but Medusa. Yep, Medusa from the Inhumans is there talking to a woman named Valkyrie, and uh, and Valkyrie is like convincing them basically that uh, I don't know, giving them this little feminist pep talk that they need to stand up for themselves and they need to destroy the Avengers and the Inhumans humans because they are run by like these male chauvinists which is a term that gets thrown around a lot and she the gives phrase examples. male chauvinist pigs beware is said without irony oh it's good without though. cynicism i mean the way that 100 valkyrie's <laughs> point of view here yeah and the thing is like she's she's bringing up these points of like oh hey they take credit and they kind of sideline you and i like the point where she's like the newspaper says that uh quicksilver and his sister saved the day like they don't even name you in the newspaper which is like I, don't, I mean, that's very true, yeah. right? Like, uh, someone, someone will, uh, a, a woman will die, and it will just be like, wife of famous author dies, like, <laughs> you know, that they get yeah. sidelined, like. But I mean, that, that regularly happens. Women get sidelined in their own obituaries uh, because if they are married to, you know, a more famous person, you know, wife of Stephen King, Tabitha. Even though she's an author, you know, in an article that that just happened, like it was an article about her writing, but it just referred to her as the wife of Stephen King rather than as an author, right? Stuff like mm-hmm. that. Sorry, I'm going on, but like the point is, she's making decent points. <laughs> I'm kind of on board. The only point that she's not making, or the only incorrect point, is that this means we need to destroy them all. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, but it, and that everyone seems weirdly on board, right? Like Scarlet she gets Witch everyone on her side really quick. Um, yeah, yeah, fairly, fairly easily. Which I so there's, I think the trick up front is. She makes some pretty compelling arguments mm-hmm. about the the gender dynamics in the Marvel universe and sort mm-hmm. of the, you know basically the way that women are not given their full due, which I think are very compelling. She yeah, turns that into we need to destroy them rhetoric, which I, so it become it goes from sensible um, like oh these arguments you know she's got a point where she's going with this to pretty quickly to like oh she's going to I guess be the quote unquote villain of the issue mm-hmm. and try. Right to lead like you know destruction of these like here's the thing is like all these women beating up clem barton's nipple armor 
Yeah. I like, <laughs> I've got for nothing it, yeah. against it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but they, they're the tone of the issue. I think up front is kind of like Valkyrie's. She's a little off or yeah. she's a little, um, she's well, th- you know, this trending is... toward violence in a way that is not heroic. I mm-hmm. guess we wouldn't say this, this is a tone that I think Marvel has taken across the line when it comes to social issues, which is basically, Hey, yeah, we agree that you have grievances and reform is necessary, but don't take it too far. Like, yeah. don't, like, maybe tone it down a little bit. You're getting a little rowdy, like, you're getting a little extreme, you know, like, and they did this about civil rights, did this about student rights. They, you know what's really crazy about this is, just a second, this is going to come up in Captain America 132, but we I can just fold it into this. They, they bring up, in Captain America 132, they do this flashback of, like, campus protests that Captain America was part of because he's a gym teacher at a college campus now. Um, and I read that issue. And they bring up this whole thing about how, like, the students turned into a mob because they, you know, they were, like, riled up and they're easily, like, their mob mentality was stoked and their grievances are correct and, you know, they they have genuine, they have valid grievances, but their methods are just too extreme and everyone just needs to take a breath and meet in the middle, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it is so tone deaf for what is happening in the country at this time because this is a December, when this Captain America one came out, it's the end of... 1970 kent state where the national guard marched on student protesters and shot a bunch of them like the kent state massacre happened yeah. in i think may of this year so this yeah. is like six months after a bunch of students were shot down by the national guard they're saying like listen we know you're mad but like just take a breath like you know work with the other side and just poo-pooing it feels it feels very condescending and the same tone is here right it's like not you know, ladies like we understand why you're upset but just take your time and like work with us Tell us calmly what you want, right? Don't get too too much in a yes. tizzy. Yes, I think that's I think that's definitely true. I think Marvel, honestly, throughout their history, and I'm sure there are examples of the trend in one way or the other, but I think they try to they try to walk the middle of it mm-hmm. so hard. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> that a lot of times it's it can be if you actually have and let's face it most readers do if you actually have an opinion it can be frustrating how how like aggressively they're in the middle yeah 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 <laughs> which i think is why it's it's funny not funny um it's strange to me now that people will say marvel's this or marvel's that in terms of political links like like it's obvious in any way when i'm like no they're they're in the interest of expressing beliefs so far as like getting the point of view out but not necessarily in really hammering hard on one one version or the other you know like they're they want to play it safe wherever yeah no it's definitely it's very safe and that this issue has it's like we're going to bring up the issue we're going to include it which i would say is good right like in avengers 83 they're talking about and like yeah in cap like you're bringing in you're bringing in feminist ideology you're bringing um student protests like it's good of them to acknowledge these things and to talk about them i think these things should be in comics because marvel is the world outside your window and it can't be that if you ignore the issues Mm -hmm. but definitely do have this tendency of like i want to say being conservative but that obviously has totally different connotations political sense i mean it in the sense of being careful yeah like they are careful yeah they want they want to which i kind of want to ride that middle line not not ruffle too many feathers, which you know, frankly, it's, like, it's talking it's about worse it. Than... It's the way I want to talk about it, right? Now. Yeah, because <laughs> you know, like with with issues like this, I'm like, I know people are going to have very strong opinions, and. I'm going to listen to them mm-hmm. <laughs> as opposed to jump on it and say, this is right, this is wrong. Um, but that's what Marvel's doing with their comics, you know? Yeah, and I, I would be more interested if they had some kind of actual, like, nuance to their take here, right? Like, but this is a superhero comic. You're not going to have a lot of nuance about the conversation of women's lib, right? So it gets really boiled down to a very basic message, which is like, I mean, it, it, it ends on, uh, I think, Scarlet Witch and Hawkeye feuding, you know, and Scarlet Witch being like, now that that's settled, we deserve more respect. And Hawkeye's like, as long as you don't stop talking about that women's lib crap, like, and it's supposed to be like this playful battle of the sexes thing. And it's mostly like, oh, gross. No, Hawkeye, you are, you know, it's, I think you're supposed to like think that it's this fun, funny. It ends. Yeah, it ends like, uh, like there should be a laugh track. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Like yeah, the yeah. guy says something about us. Oh, Archie Bunker. Scarlet Witch thing. is like, yeah. you bet. And then everybody laughs. Um, That's clearly the joke they're going for. But yeah, I definitely read it like, man, Clint sucks. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Clint really sucks. Here. <laughs> you know, it's okay. super annoying. So much is going on this issue in a way that I actually like. So we cut yeah. to uh, what's this town name? Because it's a real town. R- yes. R- 
Rutland so this Falls? is this is kind of important in the sense of comic history. So they go to the Rutland Halloween Parade, mm-hmm. and Which the is Rutland a real- Halloween Parade is a recurring character throughout comics, both Marvel and DC, for about 30 years. Huh. Okay. <laughs> it's really wild. There are various comics creators who have... So like the next appearance of the Rutland Halloween Parade, and I had to look this up, is in Batman um, in, in an issue written by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. And like kind of the comics creative community will will bring up this parade as like it's almost like a recurring character in comic book history where they'll like reference themselves and reference each other's um, characters and stuff it's kind of fascinating uh, but it's this but it's weird little piece of comic book culture happens, and history it's a real parade that happens in the real town of Rutland Vermont yes as well yeah which yes. is pretty interesting it's like this big the biggest like longest running Halloween parade in the country that's right so they go yeah. to this parade and at the parade you know everyone's in costume everyone's dressed up as their favorite Avenger or or Marvel character or whatever, mm-hmm. and just uh, fun. Yeah, like we get to see like I think Roy Thomas is there dressed as clearly. Yes, Night- Nightbird is that his name? The like Nighthawk. The bat- Nighthawk. Nightbird. Uh, Nighthawk, the, the like Batman analog, which is, you know, a little wink to the fact that like, I think it's something like one of in the real parade, someone just dressed as Batman, someone like at the head of the parade in the like the real version. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So like we, you get the author and I think his wife right in here, Roy Thomas and his wife are in this issue dressed up yeah. as superheroes, which is kind of a fun little like insertion of the artist and the, or the writer into without being film. too heavy handed about it. You know, no, it's totally. Not, it's um, like two pages it's not making or two pages. They're just. Yeah, there's a supporting character kind of setting up. The fact that there are costume people at this parade. Who else should be at this parade in costume but the new Masters of Evil? <laughs> and Claw. Claw is so funny here because yeah. uh, Ulysses as Claw shows up again. And I showed my wife him and she's like, oh, he looks like an evil grape. <laughs> an evil grape. Yeah. 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 He um, he doesn't look like Claw anymore. He's got like this perfectly smooth head with weird designs on it. Like. Yeah, he's got a strange costume now that does not suggest a white colonizer anymore. (laughs) And uh, who else is there? Radiation or radioactive man, whirlwind, some other one. I don't remember. And the melter. The melter. Oh, God. The melter is like maybe the least interesting. Like he just melts stuff. It's so boring. He's definitely in my bottom tier. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Marvel I even like, like Radioactive not Man more. weird enough fun, you know? He's not yeah. Face Pop Pete or Still Man. He clearly was like... strong enough to be cool. He was the villain that was created just to be the counterpoint to Iron Man. Because he melts metal. And it's like, oh, Iron Man's in metal, so he'll melt you. And then yeah. that's his thing. That was it. Um, so there's a big fight between the Masters of Evil and Avengers. Once that kind of is wrapping up... All well, these... the Avengers are featured in this parade. So oh, like, right, they yeah. also yeah, yeah. come to the parade and they're being they're the, the guests of honor mm-hmm. on parade float. But yes, then the Masters of Evil, I think it, the fight actually begins because I think the Masters of Evil all climb onto a float yeah. and thinking and, like, oh, we're in costume, nobody will notice. And then somebody just shouts like, it's the Masters of Evil! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're like, hey, those aren't costumed civilians. Those are the real Masters of Evil. And yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work for long. Costumes don't work this year in Marvel. Yes. Um, so battle ensues. The yeah. Avengers are getting their butts kicked and uh, who should show up but the Liberators, This the, uh, the female group that we saw in the beginning of the issue. And they basically stop the Masters mm-hmm. and prevent the Avengers from getting their butts. And right, right. Uh, they, it's kind of a, one of the nicer moments of the issue is the Liberators all, like, they all perform at a higher level than their male counterparts. Mm-hmm. It's very intentional. And it's clearly showing that these are worthwhile individuals that will have, with their own strengths in their own right, um, you know, and that they can do, they can do the job, I think is really what it's conveying. Now, yeah. that builds to, the issue's twist, which is... Oh, wait, um, can we, can we, one more thing. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the Valkyrie replaces the Avengers catchphrase, Avengers Assemble, with the much wordier phrase, Up against the wall, male chauvinist pig! <laughs> <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't quite roll off the tongue the same way, but uh kind of liked it. I like. I feel I, like out of context, this is a very like. If you just take it in this small context, yeah. Valkyrie is like kind of a feminist icon. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Well, yeah. And, and Valkyrie's. We'll get to the twist here in a second. Valkyrie's an interesting character in Marvel history. I. I mean, if you had an Avenger squad right now led mm-hmm. by a Tessa Thompson-esque Valkyrie, mm-hmm. and every time they went into battle, she yelled, up against the wall, male chauvinist pigs. <laughs> like, I mean, that would I'm, be a huge hit. I'm not against it. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's, yeah it's, it's accidentally, like, pretty cool. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the big twist is that this is not Valkyrie, which we don't even know who Valkyrie is. So it's like, okay, fine. (laughs) Just the Enchantress in disguise. Well, and I think actually, I don't know if we highlighted this, but like, this is 
our introduction to Valkyrie, mm-hmm. but but not it's really. not Valkyrie, right? So right. like, there's no Valkyrie actually, to have changed at this point. I was surprised when I went online to like the wiki to see that this is the actual. Well, this is the Valkyrie that is going to carry on to be like the Valkyrie we know from the Thor movies. That it wasn't. I I kind of thought this was just going to be like, oh, this is they used the name Valkyrie, and then much later they introduced another character named Valkyrie, and they kind of forgot about this. But no, this yeah. is like supposed to be her. She's disguised. So the Enchantress from Asgard has disguised. She looks exactly as, the same as she's gonna look. She yeah, shows up. Yeah. Yeah which is weird also kind of threw me because she was white and i just like tessa thompson is that in oh my head. yeah and i don't yeah. have any context in the comics so her being a like a blonde lady um i think she's blonde but her being yeah. a white lady actually was like oh well, that's not the valkyrie right so that, that's kind right. of interesting like the movie is now informing my comics viewing of it that is interesting yeah no she's very um she's very norse oh, i thought you were looking. gonna say very white she's I, mean, extremely I guess you said she's very norse which is just a, <laughs> another yeah, way of same, saying that same diff um, yeah, so the, this is weird. The Enchantress reveals herself. The, it's a whole big plot to, like, escape Odin. Odin had banished her, and this whole thing was a, uh, a plot to escape. Within a page of her revealing herself, she tries to blast, I think, the Scarlet Witch. The Scarlet Witch puts her in a, like, shield bubble, and she blows herself up. And it's the end of the Enchantress, apparently. They're like, she she blew herself up into Adam. And then that's it. And it's like, it's the most rushed conclusion because this issue is so packed with stuff. Yeah, I think there are, there's a couple moments in this ending that I think probably are less savory. Uh, the first of which is Enchantress. She kind of chalks up like the executioner finding another woman mm, as mm-hmm. a big part of her motivation. Oh, she hates men now because... For wanting to destroy yeah. men because she was spurned romantically yep, by yep, the yep. executioner who has been pining after her for a decade mm-hmm. without success, Right? But might we add. It's that that detail does not need to be there for the story to succeed, and it really undercuts the Enchantress's like earlier like Good fairly <laughs> clever like points and like she's using the points to manipulate but she also it's because she has a point that they're effective you know and i think there's also the implication that it's less about the points being effective than it is like she kind of had a spell on the liberators yeah crew yeah, in order yeah. to get them to attack yeah, the no, avengers they, they say that because at some point when they're rushing into about into battle valkyrie says to like scarlet witch like on your left wench yeah <laughs> and, and at the time i was like well that's weird like no one's gonna bat an eye at calling her wench but then later on i think scarlet witch says i knew something was wrong when she called me wench <laughs> and that that made me that made me suspicious and then the spell was broken because the spell was based on total trust something like that so yeah but it, it is a funny detail that like that enchantress not being able to help herself but to call one of them wench <laughs> That's <laughs> what, what broke this. Yeah, I mean, also, yeah, basing the whole thing on, like, the Enchantress's grievances are all based on, you know, a, a man spurned her, right? And then, yeah. by implication, that's just what women are upset about when they're talking about women's lib, right? Like, it just, it, it's giving you, it's giving readers that ammo of just like, yeah, this whole thing is just like, women are mad at men because they keep rejecting them, right? That's well, the and only, I think, like, yeah, the, and I think that's where Avengers number 83, it falls apart. Yeah. Because I, honestly, if you take away that end, and it ends like totally differently, mm-hmm. you know, or they just show up and save the day and then Valkyrie disappears or whatever. <laughs> like, I think it's kind of like, well, this is kind of an interesting comic. If like, it took, if it took that away, yeah, 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 if it took that away. And kind of ended on the like, hey, we were under a spell, but also we're not entirely wrong. And you need to like yeah. start treating us better. And the, you know, the, the men had a moment of like acknowledgement of that, right? Then this would How be- How about Clint I- being like, hey, you did save our butts. Maybe I need to think about this instead yeah. of, oh, so you're done with your women's lib, right? Right. Which right, is right. like the tone that the comic ends, yep. which is, oh, so you're done with this now, right? Because yep. it was all- BS behind a spell from a scorn, right? Yeah, which yeah, I think it would have been like a I gotta success. say, probably doesn't play well <laughs> in in contemporary analysis. It probably I didn't mean. play well then. I'm sure like women were really yeah. frustrated by it at the time too because it was very dismissive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think I think it's a really interesting issue to read. Oh, it's because I, I think it's, it's the very most interesting issue of the Avengers we've read so far for me, right? <laughs> by like a mile. Yeah. Like I would read it again right now. Like it also was just pretty good. Like uh, just. Um, like there's a lot the, that happens. The pacing was good. The Halloween parade thing was kind of fun. Yeah, like so I, I thought it was it was 
pretty solidly written. It just has like some problematic implications. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, you know, definitely read this one and then write to us at mymarvelcogmail.com or head on over to the Slack channel if you're a patron and uh, let's have some good, good open discussion about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to hear more points of view on this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Or, uh, um, or okay. you can just leave it in a, another uh, one star iTunes review for us if you're <laughs> tired of Another us. one? No, no, just the, well, I mean, don't actually, but... Uh, is our is our one star review based on us um, discussing feminist issues? I I'm I'm not gonna leave this in because I don't want to actually fuss about this on air. But like I can't imagine it's anything but like Does, I, there's no commentary. No, no, it was just a it was no, just, just a rating. rating. It wasn't a review. But like it, I, maybe I'm being paranoid or like um what's the word like playing victim or something but like it's hard most of the time if, if they just if someone didn't like the podcast right like most people just turn it off and if they were like oh they just kind of yammer on and on they talk too long i don't think most people leave one star one stars are usually pretty like like angry reviews right in my experience when i go look at like other reviews of other like left-leaning podcasts that are like i'm a video game podcast but we're clearly left-leaning yeah. anything that's just actually about the podcast is usually two three four stars if they have problems the one stars are almost always like i don't need to hear a bunch of politics pushed into my video game like that kind of oh i i mean it would not surprise me yeah. i it's an assumption i don't oh they it's could to- just i'm totally boring. assuming i don't i don't actually know <laughs> it's possible yeah no I, I don't care i mean i'm not gonna i don't want to adjust for it it's probably I, someone in my family <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean we, we we still have 34 five stars or whatever but yeah yeah, I don't. I don't care. Um, All right, so let's cut back to the show now. Hey, if you like my Marvel this year, please rate and review us. Any positive <laughs> review do, and it'll help us reach listen. That oh, brings us wait, into actually. You know what, Jay and Miles, if you look through their iTunes review, that's you told me about this. That, that's the like the thing. It's, it's like, a mess. If people are just kind of like. Oh, they talk too quick, which is a totally fair. That's where they leave three stars. It's just the all like, oh, if I just wanted to hear like political whining, that's the the one star reviews. I mean, it, it's the same with me when I go on and just review Ben Shapiro's podcast with a dozen fake accounts and just yell at him. Right. <laughs> one star. Right. Yeah. yeah. I have been I have been meaning to tell you that when you call them all Zach Dean, but just Zach spelled different every time, it's I still know <laughs> it's you. Figures it out. Yeah, I did know it was. <laughs> um. <clears throat> Okay, so uh, yeah, yeah, interesting issue. So very interesting. The next one is into... is actually pretty interesting as well, though, for very different reasons. This is Captain America number one hundred and thirty-two. Uh, it's written by Stan Lee, Gene Colan, Dick Ayers, and Artie Simak. Letters and. This one's all about Cap thinking he got Buck. Yeah. Uh, this happened at the end of Captain America one. It is and the just, just before return. we hear from anyone, like just go back and read it. Like it's a good. <laughs> just like, yeah, right. Uh, I can't leave it. No, but uh, yeah, the, a bunch of stuff happened in one thirty one. So if you're interested, like just go back and check it out. I I went and read it because I was like thinking, oh, it kind of seems like I need that context. You, you don't really like. It ends with Bucky Barnes has shown up and Captain America just found him again. And you kind of get that context from 132. But if you want, just go back and read 131, which is basically Baron von Strucker is back and uh, he's hiding under a hood through the whole thing. It's like he's a mystery villain in 131. And I was just dying, waiting for the moment where he reveals himself. He pulls the hood off to reveal that it's Baron Zemo and there's just another hood under that hood. (laughs) (laughs) I was so so disappointed when it was uh, Strucker's bald head. But no, anyway, he, he like Baron von Strucker finds a he's like, oh, I'll trick I'll trick Captain America by finding someone who looks just like Bucky Barnes. And he goes to not four, but five gyms in his local area before he finds a boy that looks just like Bucky Barnes. <laughs> it's very funny. He goes to four gyms and he's like, man, I'm never going to find someone who looks like Bucky. And then he walks into the fifth one and he finds a boy that's like looks just like Bucky Barnes and also has amnesia. And he's like. Wow, I actually found the real Bucky. Didn't expect that. Jackpot, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, and then he kind of sets it up so that him and Captain America meet up and, yeah. So, that takes us into Cap 1-2. Cap can't believe it, but he's got Bucky back. He's thrilled. It's obviously been a huge source of (laughs) guilt and shame since he's been back in the 60s to have lost his partner uh, in battle. And then Bucky just turns up good as new. Or does he? We get the uh, reveal throughout (laughs) the issue. They don't let that tension build at all it's, it doesn't last long not um, at all 
No. It's a, uh, I mean, it, you know, it's going to be resolved by the end of the, but we get the reveal here that Modoc has actually built, um, basically Modoc's behind it all. Okay. And if you remember, Modoc is the mental organism designed only for killing. He is head of AIM, advanced idea mechanics. And this is a plot of his to basically strike at the heart of his enemy, Captain America. Um, Modoc does some kind of interesting across the Marvel universe work here, mm-hmm. where the way that he gets this perfect Bucky that even Cap won't know isn't the real Bucky a perfect is Bucky. eventually he contracts it out to Dr. Doom. And he the way he gets Doom to do it is he plays on Doom's ego, essentially, and he gives him an order, tells him, you know, I need you, or basically says, build this robot for me. Doom says, Doom serves no man, but this is an interesting challenge. I'll prove I can do it just because I want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Modoc, like, yeah, he's like, why would I do anything for you? And Modoc's like, well, yeah, if you can't do it, I guess that's okay. And Dr. Doom's like, who said I can't do it? I'll show you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's the perfect doom. It, doom it, I mean, it, it's how like I used to manipulate my little sister when she was seven years old. <laughs> like, can right. I have a piece of your candy? No. Well, that's because you can't hand it to me. Yes, I can. And here. then she'd build a robot. <laughs> then she'd build a robot insane. to hand it to me. And then she'd build a perfect robot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Doom builds this Bucky Barnes that has all of Bucky's memories and the Capone robot. And uh, Modok, of course, has planted the seeds in this robot to attack him. So once he builds up his trust and, you know, basically they're driving away, they've only spent like not a lot of time together, you know, at this point. Uh, Bucky attacks. Cap is a Oh, I, I do like the moment when Bucky attacks, they're riding on a motorcycle together. And I think Bucky's like riding behind him on the motorcycle and just starts like attacking him behind, which I, I for whatever reason, that struck me as very like, <laughs> very frightening and very vulnerable. Like mm-hmm. they're just zipping down the road and Bucky Barnes started, I don't know choking him or punching him or something and yeah no it's definitely a very it's a really twisted i think effective psychological attack Mm -hmm. on cap so the actual physical assault doesn't last long i mean like you'd expect cap um but the the impact this has on his psyche is is pretty strong and it's kind of surprising coming from modok who i think of as such an inhuman creature that he this is the way that he would lash out at captain america um but he's a very intelligent being so but yeah i mean it's <laughs> the like way, the way that he triggers bucky to attack captain america is he just has a knob he keeps turning up that like increases bucky's homicide like, it's very homicide um, psycho feelings. man feared out hate i think yeah you know? it's just like it, he turns it up and then bucky starts attacking and then he's starting to lose and he's like oh man i need to turn this turn this knob up even higher he's got the murder <laughs> knob up to 11 yeah exactly <laughs> um, yeah but you know it's a it's kind of a fun issue i think it plays with a lot of marvel ideas that i think mcu fans definitely will be interested in because it's like it oh bucky's back you know what is what does that mean for cap you know yeah. like we know we know bucky obviously bucky barnes is a character that is known worldwide at this point so this one gives you a taste of that that, um, I love my I, wife loves dead Bucky Barnes dead Bucky <laughs> she's so like <laughs> she just thinks it's the funniest thing like she could be a supervillain just based on how much she actually enjoys mocking Captain America about Bucky Barnes being dead like both in the comics and in the MCU she <laughs> thinks it's so funny how torn up he is about it <laughs> like wow. she's constantly wow. rolling her eyes and making fun of him for being like yeah upset about this it's very good i would love i would love to see the dinner between red skull modok and your wife <laughs> they're all just cackling <laughs> over bucky <laughs> throw let's throw baron zemo in there um yeah. yeah no so so that's that one i guess yeah i mean it's pretty pretty concise but it is impactful do you have any other thoughts on the matter no 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 it was uh it was fine I don't know. It didn't. It didn't do that much for me. But also, like, I think mostly because they won. I I actually didn't know that it wasn't Bucky for sure. But like, which they, I like. They they just like they can't help but pointing out in like text boxes, teasing for the next issue, and like on the cover, and all all the like signs point to, hey, we're faking you out, right? They they do that thing where like the end of the last issue, they're like the adventures of Captain America and Bucky Barnes, or is it like? that kind of yeah. thing where they they don't play it straight at all so they, they can't pull a twist if they don't pull it straight first right yeah no yeah. definitely um so yeah that does it for 1970 oh, no, no, don't you forgot uh our love story how could i forget our <laughs> love story you're right let's get it let's get into it we got our love story number five. Oh no i meant in marvel unlimited this is one that i meant our I called first out... email correspondent dave what's that 
I meant our initial email correspondence, Dave. I wanted to talk about that. I believe we talked issue. about that on the live Q&A. Oh, so yeah, that's right. I got to say, if you're a patron, you can hear Zach and mine's love story. Yeah. Um, if you're just a regular old listener, you get you get the <laughs> Jim Steranko version yeah. that we're talking about here from Which, 1970. You know, I don't know why. I, like, I wanted to bring this up. You, you mentioned that it was this year. I don't have anything to say about the story. The story is like an actress works for a director who she falls in love with and thinks he's ignoring her, but he's not. He loves her. That's the whole yep. thing. The art is so cool. It's like the most stylish thing happening in Marvel comic. It's probably more stylish because like he's working outside the bounds of the superhero convention and it's got more interesting color choices and panel layout than even the stuff Serenko has done for Captain America and S.H.I.E.L.D. so far. Like, I mean, it was the most boring basic story, but I would read a dozen of these issues. Yes, totally. Like, uh, he which, was unfortunately, this is the only one that Jimmy S. did do, I believe. I think reading our love story, like actually reading the story, mm-hmm. is it's interesting to do it literally this one because sure. it gives you that historical context again of like, yeah, this is a real comic that they were publishing with these types of romance stories, which I find pretty consistently interesting, even if I'm not actually enjoying them, just because like it's a world that I don't know that was somewhat successful. Now, this one is obviously interesting because you have this incredible major influence on comic book art uh, mm-hmm. doing like, again, like the most banal <laughs> romance yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and really elevating it. looks amazing. It. it looks great. Like, yeah, like you said the coloring really um it, it reminds me of the page we highlighted in i think nick fury agent of shield number th- no it wouldn't be number three number two where it's mm-hmm. the single page of fury and la contessa that's all mood mm-hmm. yeah you know what i mean and it's all um there's no dialogue it's just all kind yeah. of sexy yeah, yeah. mood it reminds me of that but then over the course of this entire page story um check it out i think if you're a fan Benis to van work again because there's not yeah, it's real quick a lot it's, of that it's half length so i think it's only well, like 12 pages or something it's short yeah it's short easy to pick up um and yeah worth a look oh that does remind me forgotten to mention so in 1970 the other thing that we don't talk about on the list and is weirdly not even in marvel unlimited yet is uh the uh, debut of conan the barbarian marvel started publishing conan comics we have seen the return of conan the barbarian to marvel in 2019 mm-hmm. which is the year we are recording this and the, this year actually marks the first two issues publication of Conan written by Roy Thomas with art by uh, going by this time, Barry Smith. We'll know him as Barry Windsor Smith. And Conan's a really interesting series that Marvel was publishing throughout the 70s. It's got a long, long history. Roy Thomas is on it forever across both Conan the Barbarian and Savage Sword of Conan, which is going to come later. Um, I read these first two issues and prep for the podcast, and I, I'm not a big Conan the Barbarian fan. I just don't know a lot about it. Um, and I read these, and honestly, I was not super into them. Hmm. I think they're interesting setting the scene for things, but these two issues in particular did not super grab my attention yeah. um so i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of keep playing along i think like again because these aren't an mu i'm not going to be adding them to any reading lists um should they ever pop in it's something i'll consider but if you if there are conan fans out there um i'd be very curious to hear your thoughts right into us at my yeah, if they do come into MU and, you know, especially if we're like, you know, if it's next year sometime and we're in the 80s, but they start adding 70s Conan, I might brush over it in extra issues. And I'd love to, you know, get a little bit of get some recommendations on what's good and what's worth reading and stuff to uh, to highlight for people. Yeah, definitely. And I would treat I would treat Conan the same way I would treat like Star Wars. Marvel Comics would start you know, 76 or 77, mm-hmm. um, which is to say separate from the Marvel Universe read yeah, that we're doing. Sure. They are yeah, Marvel we, we Comics. We might highlight them, but we're not going to cover them on the main show. Maybe maybe for a bonus thing in the future. Yeah, but. yeah totally. Um, although Conan is being integrated in as we speak. Oh, like actually entering the Marvel Universe? They've got them on the covers for uh, the Savage Avengers. Ah, out soon, uh-huh. so oh, that's pretty cool. Marvel, oh, Marvel that's like, like prehistoric Avenger stuff? No, not oh. even. Oh, okay. I don't know what that we is. We shall but... see. We yeah, shall yeah. see. Yeah. But um, yeah, if you got Conan thoughts, let us know. I think otherwise, if you got Conan on the brain, let us know. If you, yeah, definitely let us let us talk. Um, what else? What else? Let's. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. You can support my marvelous year over at Patreon.com/slash My Marvelous Year. Find us on social anywhere 
uh, as well by the My Marvelous Year moniker. I'm Dave, run a site called comicbookherald.com. Come on over, you can go to mymarvelousyear.com. It'll take you to sections of CBH where I've got all of the reading lists. You can also find the reading lists in the show notes, via mm-hmm. Patreon, uh, or via the Comic Book Herald. Um, so a lot of places you can find these reading club lists should you want to play along. Yep, and I think it's worth mentioning again, we're starting out the 70s. The lists are definitely going to be changing. Um, just updating because so much stuff got added to Marvel Unlimited since the last time since the, the list was initially written. So uh, we are going to demarcate that on the spreadsheet, the Google spreadsheet that is available to Patreon backers and like the show notes in the weekly email and all that will show like the updated list. Uh, if you want to see the differences between the old list and the new list, uh, those will be marked like on the spreadsheet. I'm keeping like new additions are going to be marked in bold. If we remove anything from the list, which I don't think is as likely, that will still be like on the list as like written out because some people were writing to me concerned that, you know, stuff would just vanish from the list and they didn't want to, to miss out on it just because we changed our mind. I'll have to make sure I'm not doing that. Um, I think generally if I move something out of the core list, I'll probably just drop it to the bonus round. Yeah, yeah. As a mention. Yep. Um, but yeah, otherwise I'll try not to And that's going to get shuffled around entirely. because I, like, I'm going to read some of that bonus round stuff. It's already happened where I've read some of the bonus round and said, hey, let's talk about it. Like, I think this is worth moving to the main discussion. Yeah. So, you know, all that stuff is going to be marked, like, on the spreadsheet or the Patreon email or the weekly update email. Those are the places to see the, the updated list. Yep, definitely. So, music for oh, my no, Marvel's we need, here. We need the poll for 1970. Uh, do we have a poll? Um, I think we came up with one for last. I must have done one last time. But what was it? been Ooh. two weeks um, i have no recollection i thought we came up with a good one too um well what do we do for 69 was that the 69 is like the the wrap up for the decade best issue right okay so it's not that uh, what are you most looking for oh what are you most looking forward to yes 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 that's right our yeah. poll for 1970 for patrons do you remember these uh, off the top is, of your what head? are you most look- what do you remember these off the top of your head the answers yeah well, let's see I think we actually um, have it written in the um, in our. I'll, I'll look it up. We have it written in our Google Hangouts because we were talking about it. Okay. Uh, is what comic are you most looking forward to in the 1970s, or what sort of ideas are you most looking forward to? I'm going to try to recollect off the top of my head. <laughs> okay, exactly I, I have the list. Me. But you you try to remember. All right. Do are you looking forward to the Uncanny X Men debuting? Of course you are. That's not a list. We all. That's too obvious. Are you <laughs> looking forward to Marvel horror comics, a la Werewolf by Night? Or Tomb of Dracula. That's one. Are you looking forward to weird Steve Gerber comics? A la The Defenders, Omega the Unknown, Howard the Duck. Mm -hmm. Are you looking forward to the debut of 90s icons? Wolverine, Punish, Ghost Rider. Are you looking forward to Kung Fu? Street Level Action. Luke Cage, Shang-Chi, Iron Fist. Mm -hmm. Is there another one? There's two more. Two more? Two more. Okay, what are they? Uh, Jim Starlin's Cosmic Comics. Mm. Not to be confused with Comma Cosmic. Or no. Cosmic comic. Um, yeah. So Jim Starlin's Cosmic Comics and The Return of Jack Kirby with The Eternals, right. Devil Dino, and Moon Boy. Devil <laughs> Moon Boy. Dino. <laughs> I, I hated Devil Dino the first time. I'm interested to read it again. I've softened yeah. up some of these dinosaurs. Yeah. Like Sauron. Well, <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Music for My Marvelous Year by Disaster. Peace. That is Disaster. T-E-R. Not okay. All right. This is like the third time for this joke. Is it funnier every time, though? <laughs> yes, actually. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I, I no, forgot. No, it like, seems like a I winner. Forgot. It's one of these jokes that just gets funnier. Just so good. Uh, everybody, good job. <laughs> we will see you next year. <laughs> good, good close. See you next year. Mole Man won't follow Hulk. Tyrannus won't follow Hulk. But if they do, Hulk will smash them just like he did their armies. Hulk is the strongest there is. Woo!